Okay. I have the great privilege um, of introducing the first speaker. Warner Green is a professor uh, of medicine uh, and uh, immunology uh, and microbiology at the University of California, San Francisco, and director of the uh, Gladstone Institute for Virology and Immunology. Warner is a, has been a close colleague of mine for 20 years or so. Um, we are the co-directors of the UCSF Gladstone Center for AIDS Research, and now we're both serving uh, on the board of the AMFAR HIV Cure Research Institute, uh, uh, which has been a really exciting uh, opportunity for me to see uh, this explosion of work in the, in the cure area. Uh, Warner is going to uh, take us through uh, the, the, the fast-changing world of cure research. I know when I talk to my patients, even if they're nicely suppressed on one pill a day, uh, every one of them would rather have, uh, have the virus uh, eliminated uh, from their body. So uh, Warner uh, will take us through an amazing story. Warner. Thank you, Paul, for that introduction, and good morning. Thank you also for providing such great weather here in New York, warmer here than in San Francisco today. So my, my challenge in the next 30 minutes is to take you on a tour of current HIV uh, cure research. And the bottom line is that a lot of very positive uh, steps are being made, uh, very promising steps, such that I think we're more, op more and more optimistic about the possibilities uh, of some type of HIV cure in the not-too-distant future. Uh, my uh, financial relationships with commercial entities. Um, so the learning objectives here, are, again, are to learn about uh, HIV latency and its relationship to HIV cure research to recognize that probably we're not going to be eradicating the virus, but rather reducing and controlling the virus. And listen, uh, I'll, I'll try and show you some of the most promising new approaches. So with over 30 drugs and multiple regimens, motivated patients with lifelong access to therapy can now control HIV indefinitely, eliminating their risk of AIDS. But as you know, only 17 million of the uh, roughly 36.7 million infected have access to antiretroviral therapy. They're still, even though PEPFAR and Global Fund are doing fantastic work, uh, still we're not even reaching half of the, uh, of the individuals that we, we need to. And of course, WHO has now changed their recommendations to recommending immediate treatment for all HIV-infected uh, patients. I'm not sure how we're going to be able to financially reach this goal. And so in many ways, uh, oh, and, and in addition, even though people are put on antiretroviral therapy, most people are not effectively on antiretroviral therapy based on the, 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 the decrements at each stage of the, of the cascade of care shown here, both in the United States in blue and in Mozambique in yellow. Uh, so in many ways, an HIV cure may be Africa's best hope uh, in, in its ongoing battle against HIV-AIDS. So, as you know, the, with the commencement of antiretroviral therapy, there is a prompt uh, d uh, disappearance of a detectable virus to uh, less than detectable levels uh, using standard assays. But we know that the virus continues, that very small quantities of the virus continue uh, to be 
detectable with super assays, in, uh, super sensitive assays in the plasma. And reproducibly, as soon as antiretroviral therapy is discontinued, there is this rebound that occurs within generally two to four weeks, uh, returning to levels of uh, pretreatment. Now, what underlies this low level of persistent viremia found in, in, in patients on antiretroviral therapy? Well, one idea is that maybe the antiretroviral therapy is not reaching certain tissue sanctuaries, for example, the brain or the gut. Uh, and so there's low-level viral replication within those tissues giving rise to the uh, virus. The other possibility, which actually there is no data for really, is that the virus is in a hemopoietic stem cell. Thank goodness that does not appear uh, to be the case. Uh, and then finally, probably a big part of the, of the low-level viremia is the fact that is the fact that there is uh, the production intermittently these latently infected cells trigger off a little bit of, uh, of virus production uh, leading to the accumulation of virus. And that, of course, is not blocked by the antiretroviral uh, therapy. So let's, let's uh, review what we know about the latent HIV reservoir. The best characterized cells that harbor this reservoir are resting memory CD4 T cells. Latently infected cells are, in fact, quite rare. This makes studying latency in, in the laboratory very difficult. There's only about one latently infected cell per million resting CD4 T cells. Um, sequence of the, virus, of, the, of the virus in the blood fails to evolve, suggesting arguing against that model of ongoing viral replication. But that's been countered recently by uh, studies from Walensky's group arguing that, in fact, that there is low-level tissue replication of HIV reflecting poor drug penetration into the tissue. So this continues to be a debate in the field, and it goes back and forth whether or not there is residual uh, replication or not. Of course, if there is, one would want to intensify therapy to try and remove that. So it's, it's not a, a moot argument. It actually has practical consequences. And approximately, so the, what we're dealing with is trying to eliminate 300 to 600 million latently infected cells in the body. Um, but we have to get every last one of them if we're going to, if, if, if eradication is our goal. So is latency an accident of nature, kind of revealed by putting people on antiretroviral therapy, or is it a planned event in the viral life cycle? This is actually a a scientific question which is uh, being heavily debated at the moment. Bob Silicano, one of the leaders in, in, in HIV uh, latency research, would argue that it's an accident of as T cells retreat into their resting state, which is the case for a memory cell going back into a resting state, he believes that viral infection, just as it re-enters the resting state, leads to latency. So it's an accident of immunologic memory, if you will. Conversely, uh, Lior Weinberger at the Gladstone argues that, in fact, it is a highly planned event and that, in fact, it's a um, bet-hedging strategy utilized by the virus to establish early, uh, even uh, at mucosal surfaces, one way to survive at the mucosal surface is to go latent. And then that cell goes into the lymph node and then the virus can come out of latency. So it's a highly evolved strategy for the virus to actually persist when, when the conditions are very adverse for its survival. So what is the molecular basis for latency? I would say that we don't know. Uh, uh, it's probably multifactorial, and so there's probably no single explanation. Sometimes 
it's due to transcription factors being a key transcription factors being sequestered in the cytoplasm. Sometimes it's related to uh, changes in the chromatin structure that silence the virus. Sometimes the DNA itself is methylated. Sometimes key transcription factors needed, for example, for the TAT protein to work, PTFB. There's no expression of cyclin T1 in, in resting cells, so TAT can't really work in these cells. And sometimes there's this idea that, of, of transcriptional interference where, in fact, the, the, the HIV gene runs, has a train wreck with a, with a uh, RNA polymerase being expre expressed from another cellular gene. They crash and burn, and so there's no expression. And sometimes there's a promoter occlusion uh, a mechanism. Suffice it to say that probably various components of each of these uh, ideas plays out in, in different latently infected cells. And that's a challenge in terms of interfering or interdicting latency if multiple mechanisms are in play. So are there any reasons to be encouraged uh, about the prospects for a cure? Indeed, Timothy Ray Brown uh, is the best. He really galvanized the whole field of cure research. As you know, uh, he was a, a man, an HIV-infected individual, the Berlin patient, who also had a leukemia. He underwent two stem cell transplants, but was transplanted with this Delta-32 uh, homozygous mutation. The, the stem cells have this mutation. That is, encodes the CCR5 receptor, co-receptor for HIV. And in fact, he has had no replication-competent virus detectable despite being off treatment since 2008, and he's been deemed a cure. Uh, and this is a sterilizing cure, complete eradication of the virus in an HIV-infected uh, subject. However, so we're at N of 1, over 36 million um, or 37 million more people to go, and it's quite clear that we're not going to be able to, stem cell transplantation is not an approach that we can use. It's a, you know, it's a dangerous procedure in itself. And that is, that's another point of emphasis, is that any therapy that we enter, uh, that we uh, create, it must be safe. It must be relatively simple. It must be highly effective. It can't work just half the time. And it has to be scalable to the, to the entire world most importantly to Africa where the virus is hitting the hardest. Um, the FDA will not allow the use of some drugs that they allow in cancer, will not allow the use of those drugs for latency uh, research because essentially they're just too dangerous for individuals who are doing quite well on their antiretroviral medicine. So the, the bar is much higher for us than in the cancer area. We have to come up with therapies that, are, uh, that have minimal uh, side effects. So what about very early treatment? If we get to people really early, can we wipe out uh, the reservoir? Indeed, uh, the idea is to try and, and prevent the, the, the reservoir from ever being seeded in the first place. Does this work? Well, I'm sure you've heard uh, uh, press reports about the Mississippi baby, now the Mississippi child. Uh, this was a, a child that where antiretroviral, where HIV was diagnosed, antiretroviral therapy started at 31 hours. And then at 18 months of age, it was, uh, therapy was interrupted. So uh, what happened? Uh, so this was very early, very, very early treatment. Things were looking great. Uh, but at 27 months uh, after the discontinuation of antiretroviral therapy, HIV rebound was detected. And sequencing of that virus uh, revealed that it was, in fact, the same virus as acquired from, uh, from the mother. What about the Visconti, uh, this, uh, what about other 
relatively early treatment uh, cohorts. One of particular interest is what's called the Visconti cohort, uh, a cohort that is managed in, in France. Uh, what they have found in the, 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 the Visconti cohort are amongst a large group of individuals treated relatively early with, anti, uh, with antiretroviral therapy, there are 14 of them who have, have now discontinued therapy and have had control of their virus without a, without a profound rebound. The virus is still there, but there is a kind of a truce between the, the host and the virus, and the, the, the host appears able to control the virus. Uh, they, they lack the classical CTL and protective HL alleles that we would see in elite uh, viral controllers. Uh, their reservoir is quite small, the latent reservoir is quite small, uh, and they have very low levels of T cell activation. We wish we could reproduce the Visconti cohort all the time, but indeed that has been difficult to recreate this type of response broadly uh, in, in individuals uh, undergoing early antiretroviral therapy. We clearly need to understand what the difference in these individuals uh, was that led to their beneficial result. Probably instead of viral eradication, a much more feasible goal is re a reduce and control. The idea to reduce the reservoir to a small size and then to encourage the immune system to control that reservoir, allowing individuals to, to stop antiretroviral therapy and still uh, restrain uh, the virus via their immune response. Uh, this is a, a more likely achievable uh, goal. Um, this would be what is technically called a sustained viral remission. Uh, long-term health off of antiretroviral therapy, although the virus continues to persist, albeit at very low levels. Now, this happens naturally in about 1% of infections. These are the HIV controllers, uh, and they, in general, uh, most uh, appear to have an enhanced adaptive immune response uh, aimed at the virus underlying this, this uh, uh, control of uh, HIV control. So how do you decrease the size of the reservoir in the reduce and control strategy? Well, the, acronym, or the, the, the approach is one that's called shock and kill. So the idea is to take latently infected cells and, uh, here and to shock them with various agents which now cause the slumbering virus to reawaken and to express itself with viral antigens expressed on the cell surface. And then now as the, as the, as the cell begins to make new virus, in fact, we hope that there's a viral cytopathic effect within these cells and that the reservoir cells spontaneously die. Of course, all of this is being performed under continuing antiretroviral therapy to protect the host from, any, uh, from these viruses that are being produced from allowing these viruses to spread. The problem is what we're seeing now is some early evidence that, in fact, these uh, reactivated cells are not dying. They're not spontaneously undergoing, uh, uh, they're not dying, and so we may need to have mechanisms to encourage or to ensure the death of these cells uh, in hand as well. Uh, now, some of the shocking agents that have been tried, these are, uh, this is looking in vitro in the test tube at patient cells, um, and we're seeing drugs that like disulfiram which is a very weak uh, uh, latency reversing agent, but a variety of agents like bryostatin, the protein kinase C activator, coupled with histone deacetylase inhibitors, but in fact, none of these, the real, a real block in the field right now is that we do not have 
truly strong latency reversing agents that are safe and do not produce broad T-cell activation. That is a, a really a, a, an urgent need in the HIV cure field. Now there's some trouble on the horizon in the shock and kill strategy. That trouble is the fact, as I alluded to, that with some of these, uh, uh, but the HDAC inhibitors, for example, we're not seeing the death of these cells after the, the, the virus is stimulated to come out of a latency. In contrast, you can use strong activators like antibodies against the T cell receptor, and, and these cells die, but with the, with the currently used latency reversing agents, often these cells survive. Now, the question is, is that because the shocking agent is too weak, or it, does it in fact reflect the fact that the biology of memory CD4 T cells make them intrinsically more resistant to the cytopathic effects of the virus? This is a, I think that, that in general, we're just using too weak of shocking agents. But we have to make sure if we get stronger shocking agents that they are safe and that they don't produce broad T cell activation, which could lead to a cytokine storm and all types of, of, of clinical problems. So the latent virus is also larger and more complex than we originally thought it. Uh, this is a, a, a schematic from Bob Silicano's group. Uh, we knew about the, this form of the, this was the replication competent uh, form of the reservoir that was easily induced by uh, strong activating agents. But we now know that with a single stimulation, only a fraction of the, of the viruses come out of latency. This purple sphere is the whole population of viruses that are capable of being reactivated, but only, uh, but you have to stimulate these cells multiple times to get all of these viruses activated. And of course, they, those viruses exist within a swarm, an absolute sea of defective viruses. And these defective viruses can maybe are mediating, they, they may allow some viral gene expression, some viral protein expression. They may mediate inflammatory effects. They may serve, uh, serve as decoys on the cell, distracting CTLs away from the, from the replication competent viruses. So, but the question is how we're going to get at this, at the, at the purple reservoir, uh, this area, how and we're going to clearly have to use latency reversing agents in a serial manner rather than a, uh, uh, than a single shot, if you will. Uh, an alternative, possibly complementary strategy to shock and kill is the idea of block and lock. So here the idea is to try and silence the virus. Rather than trying to get it to come out of hiding, let's lock it down in a transcriptionally inactive form that, so it can never be reactivated, somewhat akin to the way that we handle our endogenous retro elements within our own body. Um, this, of course, the, the, the key is we can certainly block but is there good ways of really locking that virus down? Uh, we don't have that in hand, but this is a very active area of research. Uh, really, a lot of it will focus on DNA methylation as, a, as, a, as an attempt to really, really silence these viruses. But of course, the idea then is to take away the inducer of DNA methylation, and will everything hold? Will the, will the lock truly remain locked or not? That's the question. Uh, it could, this, this lock and lock could certainly be used in conjunction with shock and kill, for example. So you induce all the readily inducible viruses, you kill off those reservoir cells, and you deal with the rest of the reservoir that was not that inducible by the uh, block and lock approach. You'll hear more and more about this, uh, this block and lock, a lot, of, a lot of efforts around that area uh, occurring now. 
Suffice it to say, if you shock the cell and the cell doesn't die, that's really bad news. It's a fit, completely failed strategy. So you've got to ensure that these reactivated uh, reservoir cells actually die. So how can we encourage those cells to die? One approach that's being taken is uh, how do we put the, in other words, how do we put the kill back in shock and kill? One approach is the passive immunity. Here, it's the, uh, the advent of broadly neutralizing antibodies has really rocked the field. Uh, these antibodies are, uh, can recognize the latently infected cell that has been stimulated with a latency reversing agent. They bind to the envelope on the surface of the cell. And these, uh, the FC portion of these antibodies bind to NK cells, and this mediates antibody-dependent cellular cytotoxicity, or ADCC. So uh, this is a very active area of, of investigation. It's easy or relatively easy uh, and safe to tr infuse these broadly neutralizing antibodies. But of course, it's a, it's a passive therapy. It's not something that whether, where you're eliciting active immunity, so it has an evanescent nature about it. Uh, much more attractive would be to use some type of active immune response. And of course, here, there's a, there's a resurgence of interest around therapeutic HIV vaccines. Lewis Picker absolutely caught the, the field by complete surprise when he showed that it was possible with a cytomegalovirus vaccine to cure 50% of infected rhesus macaques. Um, we're looking, th this is a tremendous response, probably relates at least uh, to some of the special types of immune responses elicited by the CMV vaccine. But now the question, I mean, an equally important question is, why were only 50% of the animals uh, cured? What happened to the other 50 that weren't? Um, and now he's trying to uh, create uh, human CMV uh, vectors to try the same type of vaccine uh, in human subjects. A very fascinating and fast-moving area of HIV cure research. So the other idea is, all right, let's start, like we use a cocktail of antiretroviral agents, we're probably going to need a cocktail of agents to attack the latent reservoir. So let's think about a therapeutic vaccine. That's going to be important. Let's think about an adjuvant for that, to make that therapeutic vaccine even more important. And let's think about a latency reversing agent to, to make all of this work even better. Uh, and in fact, this is in a study that was done by Dan Baruch's laboratory at Harvard, recently published. It's a monkey study where, in fact, they show that if they give the, uh, this TLR7, the toll-like receptor 7 agonist, which really largely works as an, uh, as an adjuvant rather than a latency-reversing agent, um, no effect, oops, sorry, need to get to my laser here, no effect of the TLR7 by itself, no effect of the therapeutic vaccine or a little bit of an effect by itself, but you combine the two. You combine the TLR7 agonist uh, and, the, and the vaccine, and there's a much greater response. And in fact, uh, three of these monkeys uh, uh, failed to, uh, to rebound at all. So uh, interesting uh, and promising new data using the combination of adjuvants, therapeutic vaccines, and again, we need a latency reversing agent that's, that's safe um, and doesn't induce T-cell activation. So can we harness another component of the innate immune response to, to uh, execute the kill? Studies done by uh, Palin Lee and Joe Wong at UCSF, they, interestingly, have tried to tap into the RIG-I pathway. Now, RIG-I is a, uh, an innate defense uh, that operates in the cell. 
um, and it protects against uh, RNA-containing viruses. So their idea was uh, in resting T cells, there's very little of this Rig I uh, defensive uh, protein. But they treated cells, uh, Rig I stands for retinoic acid-induced gene 1. What they did was they treated cells with a retinoic acid a derivative, acetretin, which induced Rig I. And also, uh, and so the idea was to also combine it with a latency reversing agent. And so now viral RNA would be produced. It would be recognized by the Rig I and would trigger a cell death response as well as an interferon response. And in fact, they were able to show in, uh, that they could eliminate HIV DNA-containing cells by treatment with acetretin or acetretin plus a latency reversing agent. Okay. That's good. Let's see. Let's see if I can go right to my proper slide here. I'm, I'm almost there. I'm, 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 I got it, I got it. Okay, the other approach, don't save. Okay, the other approach that, that's um, um, becoming popular but may not be used because of, of in increased risks of toxicity is the idea of taking the brakes off the, our own cellular immune response. This, of course, has been very popular in the cancer area uh, where these immune checkpoint blockers are being used to rearm uh, uh, cytotoxic T cells and other cells to attack uh, the tumor. One could uh, engineer or envision these same types of agents being used in HIV latency, but a prob the problem is they're probably just too toxic. They're to, to be, um, the risk is probably too great for them to be used in HIV, at least the agents that we have currently. Now, there's, of course, ideas around using the latest and greatest uh, approaches in gene editing. Uh, CRISPR, Cas9, I'm sure you've heard uh, about the, those new advances in, in gene editing. For example, it might be possible to use those types of approaches to engineer to create the, 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 the equivalent of the Delta 32 homozygous mutation by taking out the CCR5 gene and then expanding these hemopoietic stem cells and reinfusing them into patients to create an immune system that is essentially resistant to HIV. So a lot of area, a lot of work around this. Of course, I would claim, I would say that there is very little hope in terms of the scalability of an, of an infused type of therapy. An injectable gene therapy, yes, that could be scalable, but any time you're trying, uh, having to grow large numbers of cells and then reinfuse them does not really lend itself well to scaling uh, in Africa. The other idea, of course, is to use these, uh, the CRISPR-Cas9 or other uh, editing enzymes to attack uh, the integrated HIV provirus, essentially snip it out or in some way make it a defective virus very interesting kind of Star Wars types of technologies. A lot of progress, uh, or a lot of interesting stuff happening now with the CRISPR-Cas9 uh, uh, system. And of course, the idea of re-engineering T cells by making their, their uh, redirecting their T cell receptors to recognize the uh, HIV uh, envelope or uh, proteins expressed on the surface of reawakened reservoir cells 
antibody-conjugated toxins. We talked about ADC-mediating antibodies. And another idea is to simply take one of these broadly neutralizing antibodies, put it into an adeno-associated virus vector, inject it into the muscle, and essentially it becomes a, a, a protein-producing factory of neutralizing antibody that is just sustained for very, very long periods of time, and thus is afforded a, a protection. The problem is with that approach is that uh, we may start to make antibodies against the, the hypervariable region of the, 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 antigen, an the antigen binding site within the antibody, um, which could defeat the, uh, the effectiveness of, of that approach. So special considerations in the last two minutes. Uh, tissue is the issue. Almost all the studies of latency are done in blood. That's because it's hard to get tissue. It's really hard to get, we don't, see a lot of patients lining up to give us lymph nodes or, uh, they, will, they will give gut. Uh, um, and of course, no one wants to part with their spleen. Um, but these infected tissues, the biology of the tissue is very different than the biology in the blood. There's 10 times more infected uh, cells in the tissue. Some tissues, uh, there are lymphocytes that don't circulate back into the bloodstream. These are tissue resonant cells. And these cells are almost certainly going to respond differently to latency-reversing agents. We need to understand the biology of these cells. For example, T follicular helper cells. These are, these are primary targets of HIV in the lymph node. They exist within the lymph node follicle. Um, and we don't we really, and they don't, they don't tend to circulate. So we don't really know much about them. Uh, but these, this is home to, to much of the latent uh, reservoir. Um, also, what about kill strategies when, when one's looking at, such, uh, at these kind of tissue cells? Uh, can, the, can the NK cells and the cytotoxic T cells that we're trying to mobilize, the cytotoxic effector cells with our therapeutic vaccines or our broadly neutralizing antibodies beating ADCC, can these cells actually get into the tissues at the, uh, and, and attack the, the latent reservoir. We now know in studies uh, from um, uh, Lewis Picker's laboratory that in fact, and Jeff Lisson, that in fact the, the follicle appears to almost like it has a wall. Yes, the wall has been built around the follicle. I'm not sure who paid for it, but, <laughs> but this is a wall that prevents the CDA T cells from getting in, the NK cells from getting in. So we have, we're adding the vaccine, we're adding the antibodies, but we may have trouble getting the effector, the cytotoxic effectors to the site where the virus uh, is, uh, the latent reservoir. So we may have to somehow tear down the wall. So in conclusion, the road to an HIV cure will twist and turn and potholes will be expected. However, I am really optimistic. I, I think gratifying progress is being made Seems like every month there's a new paper that comes out showing an unexpected uh, study. Um, and I, I'm actually encouraged that, that progress is being made and I'm hopeful um, that we could have some type of reduce and control approach in the not uh, too distant future. Uh, I want to acknowledge the, this is the AMFAR Institute for HIV Cure Research uh, team. These are the uh, the individuals who I have, uh, these are the leaders of the different uh, groups that I have the pleasure of working with. Rowena Johnston, in fact, is here today from AMFAR. Uh, this has been a great group. We work uh, uh, here at the UCS Mission Hall. Paul is the director of the, uh, uh, of the institute. It's been a fantastic team, 
and uh, a, th a thrill to try and work on this very difficult, but I think potentially soluble problem of, of an HIV cure. So with that, I thank you for your attention. Super Warner. Um, I think you, uh, I always love hearing Warner talk, and he's a great scientist, but also a really great communicator, and I think the ability to take what's really high-end science and help us uh, clinicians understand it a bit better is, uh, is pretty amazing. I also want to thank whoever is tweeting on my behalf. Um, thank you for, Jerry, there was comments about our comments, so we like it, we like it. Um, the people walking around the room, this is not a mystery. These are people that have cards, blank cards, that will, they'll give to you. You can write questions, um, and we find that an efficient way to, uh, to collect feedback and get it to our, uh, to our speakers. So please, if you have questions for, uh, for Warner and the subsequent uh, uh, talks, uh, do that. Warner, we're going to hear um, at this meeting today some exciting new stuff on drugs that are really entering uh, or in the clinic already. Um, at Croy, we heard of a new non-nuke. We heard of, uh, of a new um, integrase inhibitor. Uh, we heard of a new capsid inhibitor, new class of drugs. What's the possibility uh, that just by focusing on antiretroviral agents uh, that we may be able to do better than we've done so far in reducing the reservoir? So. I don't think that we will ever be able to cure people with antiretroviral therapy. I think it's because the latent reservoir is established extremely early. It may actually be established, if, if Weinberger's right, it's probably established right as the virus enters the body and the mucosal um, uh, surfaces, so very much during the eclipse phase. So I don't think that we will, uh, and I think PrEP works, but right. But once the virus enters the body, I think the reservoir is established very, very quickly. So it's kind of, it would be very difficult for us to get people on antiretroviral therapy quick enough because I think the, the reservoir literally within hours of the virus entering the body is probably established. And you mentioned the Mississippi baby now child. I don't remember if you mentioned Steve Deek's uh, case of the very, very acute infection. You probably know the clinical. Well, just that um, Steve Deeks, who does a lot of cure work, um, had a patient that was seen in the conduct of a PrEP trial. It turned out he was so recently infected that many of us didn't quite believe that he was infected, but they were able to come up with some virus from his, from his blood. He was antibody negative still. Um, was on treatment for a couple years. On his own, decided to stop. And everyone had their fingers crossed. Uh, and eight months later, he rebounded uh, with the virus that was the same as those small fragments from, from his early infection. So I, I think the feeling is that with adults, at least, acute infection is still not going to be a curable state. But um, So uh, Warner, a question. Uh, you mentioned uh, immune checkpoints in, uh, uh, in cancer. To what degree is there crosstalk and cross-pollination between HIV cure research and oncology research? Right. I think there's, the overlaps are striking. Uh, just essentially oncologists are trying to unleash the T cells against the cancer. We're trying to make the T cells attack the latent reservoir. So many of the, many of the strategies used in cancer biology are appropriate uh, or theoretically appropriate for, for, for latency or cure research. 
The problem again is that you can, certainly in the context of life-threatening cancer, you can rationalize the use of agents that are more toxic in that setting. With HIV-infected subjects doing well on antiretroviral therapy, one has to be, uh, we will likely not be able to use the same types of agents that are, that are being used in, in oncology today with such effect. That, um, you mentioned um, some of the cell uh, therapies uh, in your talk. Uh, those of us that were at CROI heard Carl June from uh, Penn give a really great talk on, uh, on the CAR T cells, uh, which have been incredibly active in, in some cancers. Um, you want to just expand on that a little bit more to talk about some of the challenges of CAR T cells, these engineered T cells for, against the HIV reservoir? Yeah. So, again, the, the, so the idea is to redirect the T cell, you know, essentially build a new T cell receptor that recognizes selectively the HIV-infected reservoir cell. Um, the, uh, the, so that is, that's happening. The, the problem is how long do they, I mean, the infusion, these are hard to make. They have to, it's an infusion therapy. It's likely not going to be something that's scalable uh, throughout the world, as I, as I mentioned. But it's an exciting new, new technology uh, that certainly merits investigation. Um, probably far more, uh, will be far more applied in the area of, of cancer again than, than in HIV. I think uh, Jerry has a burning question in the front. Go ahead. Go ahead. <clears throat> so oftentimes when there's too much toxicity to put into people who are healthy, animal models are used more extensively. And you did mention the 50% of SHIV uh, virus-infected uh, primates that uh, something worked in. How much additional work is being done in animal models that can allow for pushing toxicity and sort of understanding whether there's a, a, um, rep, a, a um, potpourri of agents that might work in animals that then could be put into people. Well, I think the, the best experimental model, we, you know, for example, you can't grow HIV in mice. Unfortunately, we, uh, there's not a mouse model. There's uh, the, the best animal uh, model that uh, exists is SIV infection of rhesus macaques. Uh, and that is a very actively used uh, uh, model that really is proving pivotal in, in cure research uh, activities. Also very important in, in HIV vaccine uh, efforts. Yeah, so the macaque model is critical. Thanks, Thank Warner, you. very much. <laughs>